Hi, everybody. Uh, it's good to be with you by video this morning. Uh, and we're doing this for a couple of reasons that I want to explain to you. Uh, the first reason is that uh, I am in Castle Rock, Colorado, speaking at a church where I am an overseer. An overseer is a person who uh, supports a pastor and encourages them relationally and makes an investment in the life of that pastor and in that church. Uh, we have five overseers, and they uh, come and speak from time to time. They make uh, really profound investments in me as a pastor and as a person, and it's part of our church government. So I'm involved in the government of this church in Castle Rock. Its name is uh, uh, Castle Rock Bible Church, and it is pastored by Mark and Christy Marble. And I, I say their names to you because I want you to pray for them. One of the reasons I'm there is because... Christy is battling cancer and has been for uh, over a year, and, uh, and it's been a, a really difficult journey for them. And so I am with them and supporting them today by speaking in, in that church and providing um, both comfort and investment in them as a couple and as a family. And so uh, Amy and I are both there today, and so uh, would you pray for them? And pray for Christy to be healed. Pray for that church to be strengthened in this very difficult time. The second reason that we're doing this is uh, we're in this series on questions and answers. So the Q&A series is really a series that I need to, um, to discuss with you. I, we did consider um, using Brent or Marty or, or Ken um, or, or one of the other uh, members of the team to, to speak today, but we resolved that nobody wants to hear their answers. Um, actually, no, that's not true. P we care about their answers, but most people want to hear me talking about uh, these subjects and answering their questions. And so uh, that's, uh, that's why we're doing this today. So I hope you'll join me in the scriptures. Make sure you get your message notes out and begin to uh, take notes as we go through this. I, I think we'll have a good time together this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for the kindness of your love, the grace that you show us in, your in our lives, the faithfulness that you have displayed in every one of our hearts. And we come to you this morning, and we lift up Mark and Christy Marble, and we ask you to bring them comfort and peace and strength. We ask you to heal Christy. We ask you to drive back the darkness that wants to invade her body. And in the name of Jesus, let healing deliverance come to her today. Lord, we thank you for this. Thank you that you are a, the healer and that you are the deliverer. You are the sustainer of life. And you give us revelation from your word. So today as we look into your word, would you come alive in us? Would you help us to see what you're saying and then obey it? Give us the grace to be able to be faithful to you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off some questions, maybe some um, <laughs> rapid fire questions. Uh, some of them are kind of humorous. I like to start out with some of the lighter ones that you guys have uh, given me. Um, and so we'll kind of go through a few of them. Here is one. Uh, does Marty's beard have its own salary? Uh, no, it's hourly. All right, that's good. Um, 
Here's another, here's another one. How do you really feel about men wearing skinny jeans? Um, here's the answer. It depends on the size of the waist. All right, next answer to the next question, here it is. Uh, why do these chairs seem to be arranged in such a way that the person in front is perfectly blocking the view of the speaker? Can't they be spaced in such a way that the angle is better <laughs> between the two people in the row in front? Uh, feels like I'm listening to a podcast most Sundays. Um, yeah, to, to today you're listening to a video. So it's great. Uh, okay, you want to see the speaker. First of all, don't sit behind people with fat heads. Sit somewhere else. I can tell you that the front is almost always available for you. And uh, we have a team that puts together uh, these aisles, and we try to put them in the window of, of, the, of the aisle in front of them, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. And we're squeezing 400 seats into this room, and so there's only a few ways that can happen, and so we do our best. So, um, so do your best just to go like this. Yeah. All right. Um, here's another question. Is there any way the coffee can be stronger? Yes, there, there, there is one guaranteed way that the coffee can be stronger. And that is if you join the coffee team, start making the coffee. I'm just saying, that's a great team, uh, great people on that team, but they need more people to serve uh, with coffee. So if you don't have anywhere to serve, that is a great team to get involved in. Um, here's here's a, an interesting one. Can we hear more about the rapture? Uh, the answer to this is no. Um, go see the movie with Nicolas Cage. It it's perfectly defines exactly what's going to happen at the end of all days. That I'm being facetious. Um, here, here's, why I, here's why I don't speak very much on things like the rapture. The rapture concept or eschatological uh, biblical ideas that we discover in the book of Revelation or elsewhere in the Bible... Um, often is, um, it falls in the realm of what we talked about in our first Sunday, the realm of deductions. If you remember the concentric circles of belief, deductions are way out here, and then there's some interpretations from the scripture, and then there's the essentials, which we uh, try to focus on most often. Uh, but uh, uh, most often, we're, we're going to try to teach uh, biblical truth, practical application, um, Things that deal with the issues of our time, dealing with our culture, showing us how to be countercultural, and often, uh, as we talk about the end times, often it's it can be interesting, and we may cover it at some point as we teach through the Bible. I'm not saying we'll never do it. I'm just saying you're not going to hear a lot about that because um, of, of kind of where it sits in our um, on, on who we are as a church and what we're I think we're called to do. My opinion of the rapture is, I, uh, just in general, uh, I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better uh, in, in how, how the end times unfolded or unfold here. Um, let me tell you this. I do think that the best experts on the scriptures in Jesus' day missed his coming. They resisted it and rejected it. And so we should be careful about how 
easy we think it is to see how his second coming is going to take place. And the Bible says no one knows the hour. No one knows when it's going to happen. We do know it'll it'll happen like a thief that's coming in the night. And uh, and I I happen to believe that uh, as Christ returns, it will usher in a, a new era and a new age. Exactly what happens as a result of that or after that, we're we're not quite sure. None of us are are quite sure. And so um, so here's what I believe: <laughs> we oughta we oughta live like He's coming today, but we ought to plan like he's not coming for many, many years. And we ought to invest in these fields and plant in, in, in the city of Austin, and we need to sow seeds of the gospel, and we need to see more and more people coming to Christ as a result of our faithfulness while we're here, all right? Uh, next, do you plan on staying in our present location for a while? Uh, do you plan on having a, a chapel that's set up? Um, let's see, or your views on having one or not. Okay, so so we're, we have a little over two years left in this uh, facility's lease. And so we are kind of knocking on every door right now. We're trying to figure out exactly where the next move is. Um, we have, our church government has trustees who are elders who are in charge of really helping make the decision on capital expenditures, capital assets, um, and how we're going to proceed as a church. And so between the pastoral elders and the trustee elders and with input even from overseers because of their wisdom experience, we are trying to figure out what our next move is, is. And so what I want you to do is I want you to pray for that process and I want you to be faithful to give be consistent in your giving in tithes and offerings because I'm never going to over I'm never going to press for us to um, I'm never going to pressure you to give I'm going to ask you to be faithful to God in your giving and I'm going to ask you to bring the tithe which is a tenth a tenth of everything we make that's I, I believe in tithing as a practical biblical idea all right it's the way that we make sure that our hearts are not gripped by materialism and money and so i i want i want us all to be willing to give consistently to bring the tithe into the storehouse and that's what the church is called that's what the temple was called in the old testament it's what the church is and then we distribute it as needed to take care of the people of god and so finding a place for us to meet and that's 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 really um, that, that, that isn't um, ostentatious, it's not, it doesn't need to be fancy, I mean, obviously, um, but we need a place where we can keep the rain off of our heads and where we can gather and meet as a community of believers. And so um, if you'll give faithfully, uh, w- I, I will do my best to make sure we are good stewards so that we are building functional buildings, we're renovating a property or we're buying a piece of land uh, and we're coming to the place where, where that's got to happen in the next uh, couple years. So, so you can pray about that. All right. Um, let's see. Why is it that God does not openly do miracles like in Bible times? <laughs> the answer to this is he does do miracles like in Bible times, and it happens all over the world. In fact, there are stories happening all over Africa, all over um, a- parts of Asia, 
all over the uh, southern Americas, south and central America, of God doing miraculous things. There are even stories within our own church about people being healed, about people who are coming out of a life that was consumed and darkened by their own addictions, and they're being freed of those things, and those are all miracles. We are, we are seeing healing of marriages, and, and so, so, so you're asking, why, don't, why not the big miracles? In American culture, here, I don't know the answer to that exactly, all right? So just let me be clear. But my suspicion is that wherever the gospel is trying to make inroads, wherever, wherever it is aggressively being, uh, that it is aggressively penetrating a place that doesn't have it, Wherever light is going into darkness in a powerful way, signs and wonders are part of that. I think our city needs the light of the gospel in more powerful ways than ever. And I think if we will turn our hearts and our desires towards the gospel penetrating the 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 culture of our city, the realms of our society. If we, will, if we will be diligent and faithful in the gospel moving forward in our city, I think that we will see more miracles. And so I want to I challenge you and encourage you. I, I, think, I think in American culture there's a lot more intellectualism and less faith. Um, there, is, um, there is less um, maybe spiritualism, even though we, our, our city ha, has a lot of new age influences, but I think what people are looking for is the real deal, the real thing, spiritual power that is displayed in God's people. And so I encourage you to pray for it. Pray that God would use you to penetrate the darkness of your sphere of influence with the light of the gospel and see if he won't use you to touch people, to pray for them and see them healed, to walk in a, in a sense of faith about his spiritual power that exists in, inside of every one of us, all right? That's what I have to say about that. I could preach a whole sermon on that and probably should, all right? Here we go. Let's take one from, uh, the, um, from the email uh, emails as you sent them in. Uh, here's one that's very personal. It says, lately I've been feeling completely lost and I'm struggling to find purpose. I don't know what I want career-wise or in life in general. How should this be approached? Let me say that this question I think is central to who we are as God's people and people in our culture wrestle with this question. People who don't know God at all, our culture is filled with the question of what is my purpose? I don't think you can really know your purpose. It's hard to know your purpose unless you know the person who created you, the one who created you. And I, I believe that the ultimate purpose for our lives is found in knowing God, right? That's the ultimate purpose. But the question is usually, what does he want me to do exactly? Right? Like, what am I supposed to do in my life? And so I, I think there's probably two types of responses here. And one is, um, I think knowing God and following him requires faith. And since it requires faith, there's a level of uncertainty 
that we're all going to live with in terms of how we depend on God to reveal our purpose. And so I, I think his purpose is unfolding in our lives. And we have to live in faith and there's th- we have to deal with this uncertainty, okay? So I just think part of it is we're always asking that question. God, how can I accomplish your purpose? How can I be consistently involved in what you're doing and what you're saying? This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. He told us to pray like that. And so we're trying to get into his purpose. But the second idea is, I think the Bible gives us many stories that reinforce his, purp- his purpose for people, for his people. And we have an individualistic lens that we often use um, for our purpose. We see, we see God's purpose for us through the lens of fame or of uh, skill or of um, personal influence, of power, of money. And I, I want to challenge you that that God's purpose he wants to fulfill regardless of how high you get on the career ladder he wants to be involved in meeting people's needs around you regardless of how much influence you think you have or want to have often people are looking forward to influence that they think God wants to give them but not being faithful with what he's already given. Um, And that's why in my life, I've always used Matthew 25, um, verse 14 through 30 as kind of my life scripture. And it is the parable of the talents. And so the parable of the talents goes like this. God, the master who in the story represents God, gives, gives his servants. One guy gives five. One guy he gives two talents. The other one he gives one talent. The guy with five reproduces five more. The guy with two reproduces two more. And the master comes to him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little, and now I'm going to put you in charge of much. I think our entire life can be maybe measured or we can, we can evaluate how we're doing by whether or not God will answer this question. Well done, good and faithful servant. will he say to us, you've been faithful with a few things and now I'm going to put you in charge of more things. Um, I I think this is a a powerful picture and the the reason it's powerful is because the guy with one, he takes it and buries his talent and he doesn't use it and he gives, he, then he, when the master returns, he brings it back to God and he offers it to him and he says, here you go, here's, what, what was yours? I give it back to you. And the master actually calls him a wicked and lazy servant, which seems really harsh. But when you consider that God has given every one of us a measure of faith, he's given every one of us gifts, he's given us his Holy Spirit to carry around in our hearts. And we should be diligent to ask this question, how can I fulfill my purpose? And so I think the lessons of this story are what you do with what you have is what determines what you get to do next. What you do with what you already have now, what you've got in your hands now, whatever it is, whatever influence, whatever position you've got, what you do with that, and if you're faithful and if you're a good steward of that, God's gonna, that's going to determine what you get to do next. And this is, a, this is a really important idea in Scripture. The second lesson I think we ought to learn about in this story is don't worry about opportunities you don't have. It seems like everybody is obsessed with opportunities that other people have that they want. 
please, please don't be obsessed with all that other stuff. Consider what God's placed in your hand and then be faithful with that. I'll give you a couple areas of coaching. Number one, I don't think we accomplish our purpose in isolation or in individually. I think we accomplish God's purpose best in a group. And not only do we accomplish God's purpose best in a group, but we accomplish God's purpose in us in a group that's making a huge difference in people. We have a lot of people that are making a difference, but they're doing it by themselves. And, it's, and it doesn't work. They get burned out. They, they, it doesn't seem to be accomplishing much. We have a lot of people that are involved in a group, but they're not making a huge difference. This is a problem. And so they just get obsessed and absorbed in themselves, and they just, they just like being with the people they like to be with, and they lose their purpose. What we have to do, this is what I think one chapel's called to. I think this is how God's community works. This is how the kingdom works, that we accomplish our purpose best, we find our purpose in a group of people where we receive coaching and, and help and input and, and we, we attach ourselves to a group that's making a huge difference in other people's lives. And so um, I, I, if you want to read more on this, I, I recommend Rick Warren's book. It's probably the, the best thing that's been written on it. Uh, it's a million, 40 million uh, copies have been sold, and it's the purpose-driven life, all right? All right, uh, finally, here's, uh, here's another question from our email, and it is, um, can you lose your salvation? Can you lose your salvation? Now, if you're asking this question of me, can I lose my salvation? The answer is no. I cannot lose it. Every time I think of this question, I do think of uh, sort of a person standing there and kind of going, um, I, I, I can't find my salvation. I've lost it. Where is it? All right, that, that is not, I don't, I don't think that's really possible. Now, what the person is probably really asking is, um, is it possible to turn away from God once you've been saved. He's asking, or she is asking about the question of eternal security. And uh, this is a theological concept uh, throughout the scriptures about um, how salvation works. And so let me just answer it, this question briefly, but I hope that to, to sort of hit the nail on the head and let you know how I see this, how I view this idea, this concept. Um, I do believe in eternal security, <laughs> but I only believe in it for me <laughs> because it would be unwise and counterproductive for me to guarantee anybody else their eternal destiny and how secure it is or is not. Uh, it, it, is, it is not something that I think we can guarantee to another person. Now, Here's, here's what I believe about our own security in God. I think it's a lot harder to, to get rid of the salvation of our souls. Once we've, once we've accepted Christ into our lives, once we have surrendered to him, I think it's a lot harder to get loose from him, to resist him and reject him than we like to think it is. Uh, in, the, in the traditional 
church that I grew up in, uh, we called this backsliding. People backslid, and God grabs a hold of them as they're backsliding. And and uh, I I I think it is I think it is possible that we that we move back, that we back away from what God wants from us and who He is, and we and we back away from a relationship sometimes. I believe that this doesn't probably ever happen quickly. I think often it happens very slowly. It happens with a uh, one little decision at a time. And I see it happen all around our church often, and I see it happen in this way, that, that something will happen that hurts a person or there'll be some turbulence in relationships, and out of that woundedness will be sort of a decision to back away from community. And then there's, there's another secondary thing that happens in their job or, or maybe in their marriage. And, and then there's another decision to just back away. And, and ultimately, then there's a, a moment in this slowly slipping away where the person turns around and, and is so mad or so angry at what's happened to their lives that they shake their fist at God and say, where are you? If that's where you are today, let me assure you that God is near. Even though you may not feel it, even though you, you, you have doubts about it, God is watching and waiting like the, the, the father of the prodigal son in Luke 15. He is watching and waiting and looking for you. And, and you may have doubts and you may have concerns. You may be angry that life has ended up this way. But I assure you that God is looking for ways to bring people into his kingdom and for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Now, there are differing points of view on this idea in Scripture, and I just want to say that there is a respected view of Scripture that, uh, for instance, John 10, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Jesus says, no one can take the people you've given me out of my hand. In fact, I'm just going to read that really quickly um, because I, I, I think it, it helps us gain some confidence about how God works. Here's what it says. It's um, 1028. It says, uh, verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If you're wondering if the devil can snatch you out of God's hands, what Jesus is saying here is no. No. That's impossible because God's power is greater than the devil's power. God's uh, great power expressed through Christ on the cross, the event of the cross, what Christ did will always be greater than anything the devil can do. And what Christ did is always greater, will always be greater than anything you or I can do. That is a truth of the gospel that we have to embrace with all of our hearts. Now having said that, I think there is, there are people who begin to resist God and who begin to fall away from Him and who reject Him. 
And I think this is a dangerous journey. And uh, we like to think of things in terms of a spectrum, right? Like, like a spectrum of righteousness. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous. I, maybe, maybe I'm not way over here, but, I, but you know, I'm in the middle. I'm okay. I'm, I'm pretty righteous. I, I do good things. And listen, sin is sin. Sin is about missing the mark. And no matter how hard you try, that's, that's the phrase, missing the mark. That's what the word sin in the scripture means. It means to miss the mark. And it doesn't matter how close or how far away you miss the mark. You need Jesus. Because sin is much more, um, it's much more uh, defining. It's, let me say it this way. Sin is much worse than bad behaving people. It's much worse than just some bad behaviors that we accumulate. And we have a, uh, we have a wh- whole bunch of people in our community that I, I think we dabble in sin and we are unaware of the consequences. Because the consequences of dabbling in sin is you, you're missing the mark and you are being separated from God. And the more you dabble, the more that, that you resist him and reject his way and the truth of God's word. And the more you justify that you're, you're somehow, uh, that, that what you do is okay, even though it's clearly sinful. Even though it's clearly qualified as sin in the scriptures. We read a verse last week that named a whole bunch of people who would not inherit the kingdom of God. And it had slanderers and swindlers right next to um, homosexuals. And so there's th- if we insist on engaging in these sinful behaviors, that's what the scripture calls them. We shouldn't highlight one over the other as worse or better. We shouldn't measure ourselves on any spectrum of righteousness. We are only righteous when we turn to Christ and we repent of our sin and we believe in him. And we embrace him, we trust him. That's what makes us righteous. And in this list of things, it's not as if we will never be It's not as if we will be perfect. We will always end up with wrestling. The spirit and the flesh, there's a war that goes on there. We are wrestling to follow Christ. We are are following him every day, Luke 9, 23. We deny ourselves. We take up the cross and we follow him. But here's the point. Is I think we've got to see it. And see this idea of our eternal security. We have to see it through the lens of a daily relationship with God. A daily relationship with God. Overcoming each day. Overcoming our sin. And and I, I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about some of the best basketball players of all time. They have their... their, um, uh, their uh, percentage of shooting, like they're, like their, um, I can't think of the term right now. It's it's uh, their 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 not their free throw percentage, but their shooting percentage. There it is. It's their shooting percentage. <laughs> their shooting percentage is only in the fifty percent uh, realm. A little over fifty percent, maybe sixty percent. That's like half. The best players in the NBA miss half their shots. 
life with Christ is not about how much you miss or how much you hit. It's about being willing to rebound. It's about w- being willing to repent. When in, in Basketball teams that win championships, it's not about their shooting percentage. It's about rebounds. It's about how many rebounds the team makes. About whether or not that shooter, when he misses, will sprint for that rebound. Will get the rebound and shoot it again. So many times Christians, they, they'll shoot, they'll miss the mark, and they'll miss it a lot. And then they'll just be like, oh, I, I forget it. I, it's just, I, I, there's no reason for me to shoot anymore. That's not how good shooters respond. Good shooters respond by they keep shooting. What I want to challenge you to do is live a life of daily repentance, of being willing to surrender your life on a daily basis. Here's a scripture that I want you to look at. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Here's a a really important idea. Here's what it says. Verse 12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, he's calling them brothers and sisters. He's, He's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. And he's saying, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened. Everybody say hardened. Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. This is a powerful verse that I think explains the way salvation works in our life and the way God works in us. And I want to highlight three things. Here they are. Three things. The first is that we have been saved. The first first idea is I have been saved. There was a moment where I... I prayed, and I, and I realized my sinfulness, and I realized that, that I was separated from God, and I, and I believed in Christ, and I repented of my sins, and He came into my life. I have been saved. Salvation came to me in that moment. And by the way, we can never know where that moment is. It's a bit mysterious. We don't know how, how people, um, whether they pray the prayer, whether that means salvation came to them. Which is why I don't mind people raising their hands every week to say, Jesus is working in my, in my life, and I've got to give my life to him. Listen, if that's happening to you on a consistent basis, just respond to him. Every time you sense that he's working on you, respond to him. Some people get worried that they've committed the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus talks about. Hey, if you're worried that you've committed that sin, you haven't. There you go. If you're worried about it, that means you're responsive to his desire for you. You're, you're turning to him. You're, you're, you're saying, even in, even in that um, concern, you're saying, God, I don't want to offend you. I, I want to I live for you and with you and, and you to live in me and me to live in you. So I have been saved. That's salvation. The second idea is I am being saved. I am being saved. And this is called the process of sanctification. This is a a theological word. The process of sanctification. God is working in my life. He is character building. I am holding firmly to what I believed at first. And I'm living, as according to Hebrews 3.13, I'm living 
in a community that's encouraging me every day, and I'm encouraging others. We're encouraging one another daily. That's part of the reason we need to live in community. It's part of the reason we need to gather on Sundays at church. It's part of the reason we need to be part of a connect group. And so we are encouraging one another every day, and that facilitates, it helps in the process of sanctification. I am being saved. Paul, the apostle, said in Philippians 2 that we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We can't treat it like it's just flippant. We can't just just think that, you know, uh, oh, I prayed the prayer one time and, and, and that's all I need to do. And then I can kind of live however I want to because, you know, Jesus, he, he knows my heart. And it, that's a flippant way of treating our Lord Jesus. Hebrews 10, if you want to read that, it speaks about how we cannot just flippantly treat the blood of the covenant and the work of Christ in our lives by doing whatever we want to and living any old way we want to and kind of presuming on Christ. Oh, he, kno- he knows my heart. And then, and then we kind of justify the way we live. Listen, there is a journey that we all have to participate in and we have to walk and get this God working in our lives. He is, he is working his salvation through us. We are living out the gospel every day. Living out the gospel every day, receiving salvation and the work of sanctification. And then there's a third point, and it is, I will be, we will be saved one day. I will be saved one day. This is called glorification. This is the moment when Jesus returns and we receive our glorified bodies, the bodies that are like his body, that are new bodies. How many people thank God for a new body? <laughs> I'm getting kind of tired of this body. I, my body's wearing out. This world will wear out. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. God will restore all things as we are bringing the kingdom into, uh, into place. Even now, it has not reached its full fulfillment. And so Jesus will return. I will be glorified. I will be saved. I will be rescued from eternal damnation from being separated from God. C.S. Lewis talks about this idea that, and I think, I think a profound way. And he says this. He says, if hell is defined as separation from God, being separated from God forever, then people who lived a life where they resisted God and his influence, where they constantly rejected him, where they insisted on separation from him by living in their own sinfulness and doing whatever they wanted to do, that as they lived that way, it becomes entrenched in their hearts. And what Hebrews says, their hearts become hardened. They begin to become hardened to the influence of the Holy Spirit, to the calling of the Holy Spirit. And as they harden their hearts and insist on their own way and insist on separation from God, from Him being involved in their lives, from His presence in their lives, that finally, even when faced, they've been faced with the facts, the reality of Jesus' return, they will still, because of the deception of their own hearts, the hardening of their own hearts, they will insist on doing their own thing. They will insist on being separated from God and His presence. There is a danger, I believe, for all of us in rejecting God and letting sin take over. And I think we have to treat that with reverence and respect. And and I think the secret to it, the, the key to it, is living each day 
willing to have a repentant heart, willing to share your life with a community that will encourage you, and willing to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and His work, His whispering, His challenging in our lives. It is a, I think we got to see this through the lens of relationship and not the lens of doctrine. There's not a line somewhere in our doctrinal belief that you cross over. It is a relationship, and we must invest in that relationship as God invests in us. Close your eyes and bow your heads, and let me pray for you this morning. Father, we want to be the people who live in a dynamic relationship with you every day. We know that Christ came to live and to die for us. And then he was raised from the dead. And because we believe that, we believe anything is possible. And so, Lord, every person in the room today who has doubt about their salvation, I pray that you would meet them in the middle of that doubt. And their faith, they would have faith, that faith would be stirred up in them through repentance, through yielded, yieldedness to you, through surrendering to you. Father, we thank you that your word says that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. I pray that you'd wipe away every fear of our hearts of losing something that we've gained and that you would cause us to embrace the daily life of living with you and living with your, your people and surrendering to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We love you. Work in us. Work your will in our church. Let it spill out over into the community of Austin so that they can see the light of the glorious gospel of salvation. We love you and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.